Ipana presents Bucky Beaver Space Guard. Brush a brush a brush -a. Here's the new Ipana with the brand new flavor. It's dandy for your teeth. It's the K-Germ, and he's headed this way. <laughs> I'm gonna make cavities in everybody's teeth. Beaver, I'm gonna blast holes in your teeth. Hi, Panda! New Ipana knocks out decay germs best of all eating brands, including fluoride toothpaste. Brush a brush a brush -a. Here's the new Ipana with the brand new flavor. Knocks out decay germs best. Fresh, clean, and minty. You'll like it. New Ipana toothpaste. Are you seeing clearly? Do you have insight? So how do you know what you should be paying attention to? See, today it seems important that we pay attention to a lot. The news, our industry, our chosen field of profession, our hobbies, our family, our spirituality, our world, seems like it could all have some impact on our lives. But there's just so much of it. There's the edges, filled with over-the-top headlines, fake news, celebrity-endorsed, 30-second snackable sound bites of information candy, and certainly the negative of that kind of input into our insight is well known. But filtering it all out altogether may deprive us of inputs that can lead to better decisions. That social media post actually did spur us on to research the topic more deeply. Those superficial things can spark our interest, lead us down a path of exploration that gives us the deep, the long, the well-researched, the carefully crafted, well-rounded, and the considered, the insightful, if you will. But if you think about it, it's all in how we observe the input and the time we're willing to spend with any input. It's our observation that's important. There's a philosophical statement that says the observer is the observed, the meaning of which, of course, we have no time to really dive into here, but at its core means you bring your definition of what is real to whatever it is you observe. You can't help it. So today, what we desire, at least intellectually, is for the fast insight. You want to read the most insightful book, watch the best film, get the best business advice, learn from the best of your hobbies, instructors, receive guidance from your spiritual guide. Yeah, we want all of that, and we'd like it in a template, the home version, the life hacker version, and so we can listen to it while we work out, walk the dog, and have mastered it all before we open up our email. Please, thank you. This always-on attitude certainly has invaded our career focus, where we feel like we have to hustle and continually work and work and work. Though one study did find that just eight 60-hour work weeks, the fall-off in productivity is so high that the average team would have just been as well off working 40 hours a week. That's right. You can kill yourself for two months, or you can get there just as well by working less. But insight... Feeding all these inputs into our brain like some kind of matrix download of how to do kung fu is different, right? Wrong. Slow insight, even if we allow for the stimulus of the edge inputs, is critical. It's all about slowing and changing our observation. The flow. No matter how much you observe, how much you put in, slow the filter down. Remember, 
the opposite of insight is obvious. And the faster you come to an insight, you need to ask yourself, is it obvious? Chances are everybody has it, and if everybody has it, well, it's less insightful. So change your view. Slow your observation. No matter how much you choose to see. As the wonderful Thich Nhat Hanh said, changing is not just changing the things outside of us. First, we have to change our view. And now it's time for me to change my view. I see clearly that it's time to start our little hour of insight. You ready to put on some glasses and slow down? Well then, let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 184 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, May 22nd, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the most insightful man in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi, the marathon runner, I might add. Welcome. Oh, you're, you're very kind. It's a half marathon. Um, yeah. So it's not well. That's full. that's 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 it's a half full. marathon more than I would ever run. So let's just be clear about it's, that. <laughs> it's funny. I was running uh, yesterday. So that when we started the the Rite Aid Cleveland Marathon. Uh, the mar- the marathoners and the half marathoners start together, and they split off at about mile twelve. And I was running. Well, that would with- make sense given that it's a half marathon. Yeah, that's true. That, yeah. uh, <laughs> true, true. Uh, but the, he had a shirt. I was running behind the guy, and he had a shirt and said, "The half marathon is half of nothing." And I'm I'm like I'm running, and I'm looking at this guy. I'm like I'm pretty sure he's running the marathon and not. The I half. don't even know what that means though, because what he's saying is is that the marathon is nothing. Maybe that's what he's saying, but that's not what he meant. He meant it as it's, a dig. Yeah, so. it's that's 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 like uh, that's like a hashtag fail on the insult. I well, think. you know what I did though, because I was really upset, and uh, we were coming up to a water <laughs> stop, and I I took his water. I did. did you? Oh yeah, good for you. I did. Oh, good for you. That's, hey, that's gangsta in Troy, marathons. That's right, gangsta. <laughs> that's gangsta. <laughs> I took his power bar and I took his water. Oh, so how was uh, how was Australia, my friend? Oh, it is always lovely to be down under. I love that city so much. I have to tell you, um, all of the wonderful folks down there that you know say hi and a big warm hug, and it's just great. It's just Sydney is such a wonderful place. The event was wonderful. The B two B Marketing Leaders Forum, um, which is the second year in a row for that event, and uh, Emma Robo who or Robo rather who puts that event together just did a fantastic job. Um, just wonderful. Just great to see old friends, make some new ones. Um, eat great food. There's always good food in Sydney, and yeah, just a just a really cool, really cool week. Yeah, and I had a great time in in Belgium and well, Amsterdam and Belgium, and ah, uh, that's and right. Met uh, met yeah, our friends right. Bert and AJ. They had their event last week, which I didn't go to. Actually, Anne Hanley keynoted their event, Content Marketing Fast Forward, which is a great event that they do in Amsterdam. But at, yeah, while they were doing that. I was speaking 
at an event called Content Rules, which was in Antwerp, and uh, which is I love that city, absolutely love Antwerp. And then um, the next day, it's a cool was, city. Yeah, the next day was Strategic Marketing Forum or Strategic Marketing Day, and that was in North Brussels. And then made it home in time to be with the family this weekend. So it was uh, it was all good. It was all good. Nice. It's good to be home though. I, I don't travel for oh. a while, so I'm totally into that. Same here. I'm home for a couple of weeks myself, so it's uh, yeah. I, it, I, I share this sentiment that it, I am. It's good, you know why? Because you and I both got an email that our final draft of the book is due. You do I know. realize this, <laughs> and we're sort of behind. So yes, exactly. <laughs> and well, and and we've as we've been talking, we've been like, oh, I would change, and oh, this would, and yeah. ah, and so it, it's it's a good chance for us to go back and go. You know, let's 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 fix a few things. Let's you know change a few things, and it it, it it'll be good. It'll be a good exercise for both of us, I think. Killing marketing, uh, where buy where books are sold, September fifth through eighth, starting dun, then. Dun, so, dun. Although we're launching and a content, content marketing world, content marketing world, yeah. That you're be doing. Good. I think your keynote. I'm not. I'm not keynoting on it. I think you're going to keynote on portions of the book. Is that correct? That's that is correct. That is correct. I I, I heard word from this guy Joe Polizzi. He said that uh, I should be prepared to do a keynote. Um, yeah. That uh, yeah. So you so are I'm excited. I'm actually excited about that. So doing the workshop and doing a keynote, I am super pumped. I've got a really special spot in the agenda just for you. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going to tell you exactly where yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Have we, did we have any news while we were We all did have some news, but gallivanting. before we get to the news, we should talk about one thing, which is the open enrollment period for our CMI University. Oh, that's right. I forgot about yeah. that. Uh, so we open, what, June 1st? We do. the end of June. So all the days of June, you can sign up for Content Marketing University. And uh, PNR, this old marketing listeners, get $100 off, and we would dun, dun, we dun. definitely want you to enroll. So use the code PNR100, that's P-N-R, the letters, 100, and you can get $100 off your enrollment. And uh, we had a, I think we had a record number sign up for the first quarter, first semester. And uh, everyone seems really happy with your program. So whatever you did, Robert. It's been working. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, they don't know about it until they get in. Well, so it's it's good marketing, I guess, is what it really is. But I, you know, I got to tell you this this open enrollment, we're adding some new classes. So this is what we do, of course, every year. I do the backbone, um, which is the sort of course that you go through. But then we hang all these other wonderful thought leaders that teach courses uh, classes off the top of that. And we've got some. I mean, we just got some amazing stuff about scaling content this uh this 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 period you know from folks like Nas Urbina and, and my friend Kathy McKnight um Buddy Scalera um just some amazing wonderful people Vishal Khanna who was content marketer of the year he's doing one on connecting content and technology it's all about scaling your content across the enterprise the theme and it's just some great classes that get added to this uh, open enrollment period so i'm i'm excited for the spring here the, the reason why it's so good is because I have minimal courses this year. They really were mostly taught by you. Thank goodness. I think we got complaints off of my course last year. It was a, it was a problem. They didn't want to look at my face anymore. Anyways, uh, so sign up, contentmarketinguniversity.com, and you can go to uh, CMI's training program and use PNR100 code, and uh, we'd love to see you involved in that. 
So absolutely, we would. All right, let us on to the news then. And we're going to open up with two stories that we're going to pair together um, just because they taste nice uh, and they have that nice sort of opening flower essence to them. And so the first uh, story will be, does corporate storytelling work? Some mega brands say no. So says Mark Schaefer, um, Mark, uh, a friend of CMI. And so, hi, Mark. Um, he posted on his own blog and on Facebook. Uh, he also posted a rather lengthy post on this. We're going to link to the Facebook post. And we're going to pair it with an article from Digiday, which the headline is, don't get rid of the publisher position just yet. I think you'll see how these two are connected as we, as Joe and I start discussing it here. But for Mark's post, he opens up by saying, for years... Corporate storytelling was all the rage, but with the failure of some of the industry's most iconic successes, it's time to revisit the strategy. With much flourish, Coca-Cola announced in 2011 that it would be moving from creative excellence to content excellence and made an epic two-part animated video on their strategy explaining they would be willing to create such amazing content that it could not be contained. And so they go on, Mark then goes on to talk about the corporation, uh, Coca-Cola's corporate journey on his website and how they have since changed that, saying that it was uh, a failure. And then, uh, so let's let's talk about that first. Let's talk about that first, Joe. And, and give me your take. What did you What did you think about this uh, corporate storytelling and uh, what Mark had to say? I, I think there's a lot of truth to what Mark said. In the when when you and I work with large enterprises and they talk about we're doing corporate storytelling or we want to tell more stories, I I'm very skeptical when they start talking about telling more stories because sometimes they forget the why in that. Like, okay, great. You're telling stories. Why? What's the purpose behind it? Um, so that's kind of one one take. And, and even there's another article, which I don't know if we're going to get to, but David Beebe, who used to run Marriott's program, he's really big about that. He'll say, look, whatever you do in the enterprise, when you do any kind of content marketing, content creation, you better have a really good handle on the why. Why are you doing this in the first place? And I think uh, in a lot of cases... Um, some of these brands want to do something fun and they want to tell these stories and, and they sort of forget why they're doing it in the first place. But the the one thing that I got from reading all the examples that Mark talks about in this is that in these cases, it's still pretty much a hobby. It's a, it's a side project. So they say, oh, okay, we're going to do content marketing. We'll do the content factory. We're going to do corporate storytelling. And you get a content champion in the organization. They're very passionate about it. Somebody gives them some funds to play with, which are very small, but they think are big. And they're like, okay, we're going to go ahead. We're going to do this. They do programs. They do campaigns. They don't invest over a long period of time. They don't look to, for this to become an asset. They don't, fit, they don't focus on really building an audience. And then when that champion is gone or they get, let's say, a new chief marketing officer in or a new VP of marketing and sales, it fades away. So it seems like in the examples, whether it's Coca-Cola or Sharpies or Fiskars or the ones that, that Mark talks about in this article, it was in almost all cases, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seemed like there was a change of strategic control in the organization. The champion who led the effort in the past left. In Coca-Cola's case, we know that story, right? Jonathan Mildenhall, chief marketing officer for Coca-Cola, left to go at uh, go to Airbnb and among others, right? Among others, I mean, they've had a huge regime shift there. Among others, but he was the one that really pushed this whole liquid content thing, and and they built Coca Cola Journey and a number of other things. And you talked about these a lot of these in your workshop. And then he seemed to go away, and then they lost their zeal for it, and uh, they went back to marketing like they used to market. So I don't know what was your what was your take. I I I agree on the on mostly. 
Um, you know, so I think, so look with Coca-Cola specifically, um, and, and, and Mark goes through a few, uh, examples here. He uses Coca-Cola to your, you know, to your point, he uses Fiskars, which we've talked about on this show. We've, we told, it was a, this old marketing, I can't remember how many episodes ago, but Fiskars, their, their, um, their program was a, was a, this old marketing that we talked about. And so, yeah, it was indeed sad to see them go. And, and, and Mark makes the point at the end of his post to say, Hey, this doesn't mean that brand storytelling is dead. It doesn't mean that content marketing is dead. I'm not saying any such thing. It's just basically be aware that it's, you know, that there's risks, um, both internal and external. And I think to, to my view, that is the, the point to, to what you're getting at there, which is look, people change, right? And priorities change. Now, I will say to Coca Cola, the the Coca-Cola journey is still there, right? So Mark shows the website and then he shows the, the website again, how it's changed. All they did was flip it, right? If you go to the actual Coca-Cola journey website now, it's just flipped in priority. So what they had as the corporate stuff, which was at the bottom of the page, now they, put they now have at the yeah. top of the page. Yeah. And what they had featured as the corporate, you know, the, the Coca-Cola journey stuff in the beginning, sports and brand and, you know, and, and news and stuff like that is now in the middle of Somebody the Somebody said, so, put our story at the top. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what happened, right? So some executive somewhere said, no, 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 no. Now that it's my rodeo, we're going to move all this stuff up to the top of the page. We'll keep all the other stuff. So if you surf through it, it's still very much the you know and 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 this may be in the process of changing and it just may be the momentum of a big corporation that takes a long time to change and they're changing it piece by piece um and it one day will just be like every other corporate website out there but it's still the one of the most if not the most interesting corporate websites out there right in terms of the way they're piecing together content and what they're doing mm-hmm. um and that gets to the point right which is are why you know to your point why are we telling this story is it our corporate website that we're changing in order to deliver some new way of saying here's what a corporate website should be because quite frankly as i as you've heard me say in so many workshops we most companies are still lost in this idea of the corporate website basically being an extension of the yellow pages listings, right? You know, it's basically about us and then more about us. And then here's our awards. And then here's about our executives and here's about our products and here's our address. And that's it. That's a corporate website instead of having it be a portal or a journey into all of these different kinds of experiences that you can have with the brand, which is what Coca-Cola's journey is all about, like it or not, right? Like, you know, agree with it or not. And ultimately, when we talk about these internal pressures to content, there's that pressure, which quite frankly, I think has everything to do with um, the regime change and priorities and politics, and this is just the way that I want my stuff represented. And so it just basically says, this screen real estate is now my purview. And so what I want goes and I'm putting it up there. I don't think it was, I, I, look, I don't know for a fact, but I'll almost guarantee you they didn't go, they didn't do some deep dive analysis to say what is the consumer more interested in or yeah. what better experience the consumer is getting. And then say, let's make a change based on that, because I can't see any reality where people go, oh, no, no, tell me more about, you know, press releases and the Coca-Cola executives instead of, you know, being a brand, you know, that talks about sports, et cetera. So I can't see anything like that. That, to me, is an internal decision that was made for any number of reasons, the least of which has to do with how are we adding more value to the consumer's life. 
Then you go to something that's more content marketing in nature, much like what we talk about with Fiskars or sort of the brand storytelling through a different property and marketing effort perspective as they're doing, as Fiskars was doing for so many years. And there, I think my experience anyway is this is exactly the thing that we, one, predicted, and two, it's the thing that I'm fixing most often is that we start these programs and some of them quite frankly, are really successful. They get an audience, they do, they resonate, but still the marketing team has problems in showing measurement, showing any kind of sort of long-term value because they're only looking at campaign-oriented value. So thus they limit their value to only that which meets the campaign-driving forces. And when it, the day that it stops meeting those campaign-driving forces or that we see some other alternative to meet those campaign-driving forces – we give up on it. Yeah. And that's, to me, what happened with Fiskars is they just said, hey, we can't show how this is increasing sales, so get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, asking, which we talked about last week in terms of asking the right question, how is this actually adding value to our business? Let, that's the right question that they should be asking. Well, I totally agree with that. And the one, you know, when you get down into Mark's recommendation, Mark has three recommendations at the bottom, um, prescriptions, if you will, to the the issue. And uh, and uh, as, as much as I like some of the examples Mark talks about, I don't agree with, especially when he says, don't think like a publisher. Yeah. Because I, I think I, I think the issue is he's using the wrong definition of a publisher. He's using the right. definition of a publisher as a person or company whose business is the publishing of books, periodicals, engravings, computer software, et cetera. That's not a publisher. A publisher is somebody that monetizes an audience. Right. That's right. And I think that's where, so he says, don't think like a publisher, think like a marketer. But if you, but, but this is the issue. This gets, there is no difference between those two things. That's exactly right. So that's where, that's where to what we're talking, what we talk about in killing marketing, what we talk about here, the business model for what a media company, what a publisher does today, and for what a marketer that wants to leverage content to build an audience, the business model is the same. That's so I, right. I think that we just get hung up in titles, whether it's publisher or, or whatever the whatever the case is. But I think you know, even getting to the other article that you paired with this, the publisher is the one that needs, and that's why I love having a publisher. I think is critical. Whether you I don't care what you call a publisher, but that role is critical because the publisher is who's in charge of monetizing the audience without hurting either the customers, the audience itself, or the brand. Like that's what you have to think about. So you're, you, you take care of that relationship. That's, that is what your goal. Yes, you want to drive revenue, but you have to drive revenue in thinking about what the goals are of the organization and the pain points and the needs of the audience at the same time, which That's right. I think may be the most critical function for the marketing department in the future, whether you call it a publisher or not, whether you call it chief content officer like we've been calling it in the past, doesn't matter. Or maybe it's chief marketing officer in the future. I don't know. So that's where that's the one thing I didn't agree with Mark on, and the other one was, and maybe it's because I won't let myself, and I could be completely wrong with this, Robert. And I wanted to get your take, but he says um, that you have to publish in the stream, like he says that your content must be in the newsfeed, and I will not bow down before that. I will not. Yeah. I believe that if you you can deliver really good, solid, wonderful, amazing, relevant, helpful information, it does not have to be in the newsfeed. You, the I people agree. will actually get that other ways <laughs> if you if you make it accessible. You have to make it accessible, but it doesn't have to be in the newsfeed. So, 
Right, and by newsfeed you mean social newsfeed. So like right? social, mean, yeah, yeah, social newsfeed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, get- and, and 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 I think that's the key because you know, and we've had this discussion before, which is, do you chase your audiences or do you build something that your audiences will ultimately rally around? And I think it's the latter, right? Because the 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 value to the business ultimately is in the relationship with the audience. And if you have an if you have an intermediary between you and the audience, i.e. Facebook, Google, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc., you do not have the relationship with the audience. You are you are building someone else's business, not your own. Now, you now, should you ever produce content for that? You know, we've talked about the rented land thing so many times now. It's I think in many ways it's being quoted to us nowadays instead <laughs> <Exactly>. of <laughs> it, it's uh and so, but the, the, the point being, yeah, of course you should use those, those platforms, but those platforms should be building a flow into your owned media properties because that's where the relationship with the audience is built. And by the way, that's where the value is. When we start talking about how does content add value to the business, like a content marketing program, it is all in the audience. It is all in the asset that we build, which is a relationship with an audience that we can reach frequently. You know, that's going back to our roots in marketing. You know, I I was giving this ranted speech at my Sundance thing uh, two weeks ago, you know, um, and in my keynote in Australia last week where I said, We need to remember, you know, there's a big trend these days about getting back to our roots in marketing, right? Getting back to our roots. And as a, you know, I'll I'll consider myself a student of marketing history. The roots of marketing are very simple. Marketing makes markets. That's what we do. We're there to make and create markets for our product or services. There is no more going back to our roots of making a market than creating an audience, and creating an audience is making a market that is interested in us that we can then monetize by selling them products and services or deriving value out of them in multiple ways. And that's the that's the real key here is is that in publishing our own media, we are creating a customer first and keeping that customer first and then monetizing them secondly. And that's the that's that's marketing. That's what we do. So um, yes, I agree. Think like a marketer, but that today means thinking like an audience builder. And so to me, and as you just appropriately pointed out, that's a publisher. Uh, and I would say that, I mean, even, you know, I talk, I give the two speeches in Belgium talking about, specifically about Facebook and how, you know, when, of course, rented land, you build an audience, it's not yours. Uh, when I ask the question, you know, if you have 10,000 or more people that have fanned your page on Facebook and you do an organic post, how many as a percentage, how many people will see that post? And I got 10%, 15%, 20%. And I'm like, no, yep. it's less than 1% people. That's right. 20%. Are you kidding me? Unless you spend money. Yeah, Unless you spend exactly money. Right. Yes. Unless you, which, which I'd said advertising on Facebook right now, of course, what, which episode do you want to pick where we talked about the growth of digital advertising that it's all going to Facebook or Google? Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I, I I really, I believe that if the more and more we just start to buy in that, okay, well, we have to just play into the rules of Facebook and Google, and that's the only way to reach our audience, I think you're playing, you're you're, you're playing with the devil. I mean, you got, you're going to have some issues there because you're going to put in all those, the time and resources and money, and you're going to build an audience on somebody else's platform, and then you're going to wake up the next day and it's going to be gone. That's so. right. And by the way, the, the whole point of this, the whole point of this is that it's not an either or gambit. That's right. Right. 
we're not talking about stopping full stop everything you're doing in marketing and advertising and saying, go do something like Fiskars or build the Coca-Cola journey and you're done. You can drop the mic and you're done with marketing. No, it's quite the opposite. It's that adding this as a core component, adding the approach of creating an owned media audience is one of the keys to making every single other thing better. It can make digital advertising better. It can make PR better. It can make SEO better. It can make lead generation better. It can make demand generation better. It can make awareness better. It makes all of those things better. And if we just add it as a component, whether it's 2% of your component or 98% of your component, that's a business decision that you'd make. But there is, it's not a replacement for, and it's not an either or situation. So it's, 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 in that sense, when I look at what, you know, Coca-Cola is doing and saying, yes, maybe the main website is getting switched around in priority because of some internal politics or because of some unknown research thing that they did that I don't know about that says that consumers prefer corporate content over sports content. That has nothing to do with whether Coca-Cola has the permission, which is one of the pushbacks that I saw. Does Coca-Cola have permission to actually go out and talk about sports? Of course they do. Coca-Cola has as much permission to talk about sports as any other That's company right. on the planet. Of course, they can talk about anything they want to talk about. They just need to actually do it and do it consistently for some period of time and build an audience doing it. Right? There are plenty of brands out there, Red Bull being a major one that's coming leaping to mind since they sell a soft drink, that has made their entire brand around delivering sports content. You now equate Red Bull with sports content. And so they can start their own sports network and create feature films. And they have built that permission in by doing what? creating content as a part of their marketing program consistently over time and everything else that we've talked about. And it is a one component of their overall marketing strategy. That's right. It's so funny. After I gave the speech, uh, this is last week, uh, a woman came up to me and she said, Joe, you, you make it sound like Twitter followers and Facebook likes. They're bad. And I said, no, 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 don't get me wrong. I said, they're all good. I mean, we, we want them all. I want YouTube subscribers just like you do. Sure. I said, but they're, but somebody that subscribes to my YouTube page and somebody that likes my Facebook page is much, much different than somebody that has opted in to receiving exactly. emails from me. That's the value right. of that is like a thousand times difference. That's I said, right. just, I said, all I said was just understand that. Just know that that's different. And at some point we would like to say, okay, well, yeah, maybe we can move up the chain and maybe instead of getting Facebook likes, maybe YouTube is better and then maybe iTunes is better and then maybe you didn't it's email. The, you didn't have the yay boo scale? I, I, I did. But she want she <laughs> but the way that I was I, I did the yay boo scale of subscription hierarchy and we talk about that a little bit in the book as well. But um I was really ranting on Facebook for whatever reason. Like I like I like to. And she was like, We've been building up a great page on on facebook and we're getting a lot of interaction i said that's great that's wonderful don't kill it but just understand that you don't own those connections right just you need to know that now what do you do with it right now what right the question is now what right you built up wonderful engagement on facebook and a community there that's there now what that's the that's the question now what do you do with them right stick your head in the sand you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Move to Snapchat. <laughs> Put on the little puppy dog ears yeah, or whatever. Exactly. All right. Should we move on to our next story? Sure, here? let's do that. Okay. 
This one comes courtesy of Digiday, actually, um, and an interesting evolution when we start talking about the evolution of media instead of the evolution of marketing um, coming together here. This says uh, headline says, anyway, Condé Nast sees commerce opportunity with branded subscription boxes. Article opens up by saying Condé Nast wants to use its brand as tastemakers. This June, GQ will launch a grooming box filled with products GQ and Allure editors have selected. GQ will be the fourth Condé title to get its own box in the past year, joining Brides, Condé Nast Traveler, and Teen Vogue, which have all launched limited edition boxes either in partnership with Allure or with third parties. As the quote from Jill Friedson, Condé Nast Head of Brand Marketing and Strategic Partnership says, we're trying to diversify our revenue, she says. So this fascinated me. I don't know if it fascinated you as much. What did you think? I, I, of course, I love the idea. I mean, it's sort of like a loot crate. For, right, for exactly. Project, product for GQ, right? Yeah, yeah. For, for GQ, yeah. Uh, uh, chosen by the editors, whatever their position is. It's funny because when I was uh, doing research for the rave, which I'll talk about later, I went to the People Magazine's website and I got that exact offer, the same thing. It's like get this People Magazine gift box and whatever, and you get a subscription to it every month, and you also get People Magazine. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I was just reading about this uh, for Condé Nast. So that's interesting. What I didn't like. What uh, Jill Friedson said, and maybe you know, maybe she was taken out of context a little bit. The first thing she says is, "We're trying to diversify our revenue," and I'm like, "Don't lead with that. Right, lead with exactly. we're trying to focus right. on the, de- the." It's back, you know. You go down the article, and she says, uh, "We think there's a big base of women who are hungry for these kinds of products." Start there. Don't, right. Don't, exactly. Don't start with, "Oh, we're trying to find new revenue, and we're dying as a media company, <laughs> so we're launching this box thing, and it's gonna be great." So <laughs> don't bury the lead. Yeah, exactly. So, but no, I love the, I love the idea. I mean, they've got mul- multiple revenue streams. Oh, I've got somebody doing yard work right outside my window. So whatever. Nice. I think everybody would be able to deal with it. Uh, uh, <clears throat> so uh, what are we always talking about? Oh, they're, they're doing, they're doing multiple revenue opportunities. So they're, they have 30,000 30, subscriptions already. And they're monetizing that through like ten to fifteen dollars a month, and then they also, which I didn't realize, I don't know if you did, but they also monetize it through a separate email of, um, and they sell affiliate links through that too. So I love the fact that they got multiple revenue streams coming off of this. But I think it's tied to the idea of okay, we built an audience, and then we can monetize this because they're looking for these kinds of products, not because we see a revenue opportunity. That's right, and I think that's. I mean, that, I think that's that's. Critical, right? So this is an audience that is used to receiving some sort of subscription from these brands. And so they're used, you know, they're, they're very used to getting things in the mail from this, you know, from this, uh, uh, from this, you know, from this brand. And now they're just adding productizing to it, you know, so whether they do that through sponsorships or whether they do that by actually at some point making their own product is, is kind of pointless. It doesn't matter, but they're, they're diversifying. So it's a, it's a uh, it's a good thing all the way around that I think just very interesting because you know it's, it goes back to the thing that you and I have talked about for so many times, which is when a when a brand company or a product company does something in media like Fiskars, right? Like all of the things that we just talked about, it's considered weird and innovative and strange. And why would we do this? And we're not, you know, we shouldn't think like a media company. But when a media company starts thinking like a product company, everybody goes, oh, right, of course, that makes perfect sense, right? That, you know, in today's world, you have to think about diversifying your revenue and doing all these things and, and becoming more of a platform. That makes total sense. So to me, it just, it, it's, it's yet another sort of 
stake in the ground, a reason to say there's a business case of why we're wanting to do if I'm in the box business, like if I'm loot crate or if I'm one of those kind of companies, I'm going, holy smokes, that there is a reason that I need to be in the media business. And we did the loot crate content as a as a this old marketing right. example a few episodes ago. There's your reason for for doing it right there because your competition is now doing it. I'll tell you why the reason for doing it is is Amazon.com. In almost every market. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I don't know oh, if you said this is great point. Great well, this point. is sort of off the um, off the topic, but I'll, I'll come back to it. So um, I've I've known. I mean, I've owned stock in Rite Aid for a long, long time, and Rite Aid got purchased by or was was supposed to get bought by Walgreens, and the uh, the FTC is not FTC. Um, the other governing body is holding it up because of competition thing. They think that, that Walgreens shouldn't buy Rite Aid, and so they're trying to figure it out. They've held it up for over two years now. And re- last week, Amazon came in and announced that they're getting into the pharmacy business, that they're going to start selling drugs. And so now I think about that. You're like, Amazon could enter any market, except maybe you know changing your tires and mowing your lawn and fixing your plumbing. But that's maybe coming. not. I don't I guarantee, know. No, I guarantee you that's coming. But, I so guarantee that's the, you that's coming. So the thing is, is that, and why can Amazon do this? Besides the fact that they have a boatload of money now, they've got a captive audience. They can yep. pretty much do whatever they want. So I think that as a defense mechanism alone for any market, we should be building an audience. And that comes back to your Loot Crate example. I mean, yep. they really need to focus on that because them doing the box thing is their product right now. And maybe it will continue to be a product, but it's they're going to have to drive other forms of revenue or they're not going to make it or not going to be able to grow simply by doing that. So so there. So there. Yeah. <laughs> so, which I couldn't believe Amazon in the drug business and I'm like, and there is <laughs> like look at your competitive set right now. Your competitive set is temporary. <laughs> It is, right. it is going to be joined by all sorts of startups and companies and, you know, whether it's Apple and Facebook and companies with these trillion-dollar market caps, it's, it's really going to get interesting. I mean, you talked about it, what, a couple episodes where what do you do when Apple and their market cap, they're larger than, it's larger than most, comp, uh, most uh, government, uh, governments. Countries. Yeah. yeah. What, do you, what do you do? Yeah. So, yeah. What do you do? I mean, I mean, do you start outsourcing, you know? governmental sources through that bigger institution it, i think it's going to be a really interesting question i mean that i mean that gets to my rant a, a little bit in just a little bit but yeah i mean it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating time um in in, uh, in, in comp you know who is your actual competition you know as you're as you're uh, as <laughs> can you're you hear that? getting geared up to the uh, indy 500 can there you, yeah like um, i was asking can you hear that it, of feels, course, yeah, of course I can. Feels like I'm being sucked out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> we should talk about the wonderful show sponsor that we oh, have here. Absolutely, but and folks, just so you know, this is how we record this. I'm going to publish this with this uh, w- with all this distraction because. That you should hear it the way it was meant to be. Heard, Absolutely, right? this is organic. Man. This, <laughs> this is, is unplugged. This is P and R unplugged. Exactly. And then I'm going to throw a rock out my window in two seconds. Uh, <laughs> we love our sponsor, Bright Cove. Uh, Robert, I don't know if you knew this, but with eight in ten consumers engaging with brands on social media, and three in four consumers linking social video viewing to purchasing decisions. Brightco really goes into examining how brands can make the most of this opportunity by creating 
this amazing ebook. I don't know if you've downloaded it yet. You may have to do it. It's called The Science of Social Video. You can get The Science of Social Video at cmi.media slash PNR184. And the details behind this is that they took the responses of about uh, five, 6,000 viewers across the U.S., the U.K., France, Germany, and Australia. And they put together this report that, that really shows you a snapshot of how the – of social video world is evolving and then it takes a sort of a glimpse at the benefits for how brands can take social video a social video and then turn it to their advantage so it's called the science of social video it's a great piece of content by bright cove download it at cmi.media slash pnr 184 that's cmi.media slash pnr 184 and thanks again to the great support we've had bright cove has been a sponsor for i think since the start if i'm not uh, I mean, I think, I think our first, first year, they were the one first, of the first yeah. sponsors. They always come back and sponsor, and we can't thank them enough. So, uh, so there you have it: the science of social video. I love it. Social video. I mean, it's a big thing these days, for sure. It's like it's it's like that's all my social feeds seem to be these days are 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 video are video pieces. So, oh, and and, and and it has to be in the social feed, or I won't pay yeah. attention to it. <laughs> 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 Sorry. There we go. Or maybe in the ESPN app. If it's in the ESPN yeah. app, maybe. <laughs> That's a really good example, though. I mean, the, 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 whether if you built an app as valuable as like ESPN, that people will download that app and use that on a daily basis. I mean, so yeah. just an idea. So there you go. I owned media. Who'd have thought? Yeah, who'd, who'd have thought? All right. So now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and rave section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over makes feel like something is so insightful that gives us things that other people just can't see or that makes us feel like it's the most obvious, stupid, horrible thing in the world. Um, and let's see, I have this old marketing this week. Um, and so I am going first. And I'm going to give you, I guess, a it's a piece of commentary and then a, I guess it's a rant. Uh, although I don't know that I'm ranting necessarily, but it but it is a rant. So okay. the, my, 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 my little piece of commentary. So one of the stories that we got sent, and you may have even seen this. I don't even know if you saw it or not, um, given your travels, that we got this week was an ad for McDonald's uh, in the U.K., um, did you see this this ad or the the pushback and the blowback? Therein? I don't think I saw it. So go ahead and give so, me the details. Yeah. So the ad itself is um, uh, was created in the UK for McDonald's, the fast food restaurant, and it's basically a classic television ad, except it's about a young boy who's trying to discover what his father was like. And so he starts out by you know he's looking through his father's old things, and he asks his mom what was dad like. And she starts saying all of these things that he's not. Basically, you know, he was, you know, really good at sport and he kicks a football and can't do it very well. And then he was also, you know, great with the ladies and he walks by two young girls who don't give him the time of day and, and so on and so forth. Basically, really, you know, this kid wants to be like his dad and, and, and she and the mother is saying, you know, as they're walking to have lunch to, to go have lunch at McDonald's. And then as they go into the McDonald's and he opens up and he's got a, you know, a, a fish sandwich, she says, and his favorite was a fish sandwich. And as he eats, then takes a bite of the fish sandwich. And now he's proud because he's like his dad. And he wipes away a little piece of uh, mayonnaise. And she's, you know, the mother looks at him like she can see his, you know, she can see the dad in him. So it's, uh, look, here's that. And then and uh, the, the internet like broke over, you know, how people were so angry at McDonald's because it's a ad criticized because the kid 
lost a dad, you know? And so, uh, you know, to me, I just, I, I guess, you know, and a bunch of people sent it to us saying that this is a, you know, here you go, talk about it. And so I, I went and watched the ad and I, I, for the life of me, I can't see the challenge here. I mean, you know, look, it, it's not that great an ad. It wasn't executed particularly well. It's a little ham fisted, but I just got to be honest. I, I don't see the outrage here. I just I, I don't understand why people would be so outraged that they would like call. I mean, people were calling the government service for bereavement. Are you kidding? For children? Me? Oh, it's just they're. I mean, they're going off the rails with how angry they were at this ad. You know, for exploiting this poor child. You know, who had lost his father and blah blah blah. And it's like, man. If we can't take chances like that and get emotional, you know, over something, and by the way, it's not like the, you know, it's not like they said the dad was killed in some freak accident or something like that. You know, it's 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 clearly been some time since the father has passed away, right? It, when the ad opens up, it's it's not yesterday that the father has died. It's been a good amount of time. So uh, I don't know. I, I guess my commentary here is is that I hope that this isn't the kind of thing that scares us off of doing creative and deeply emotional things with content because this to me did not deserve the backlash that it got. That's, that's just my take anyway. So I wanted to make that short. Well, I think that you cannot be scared to be a marketer today and take chances because the odds are that somebody's not going to like what you're going to do and they're going to publicize it. It's just, if you're doing it right, right. If you're doing it right, you're going to make somebody angry, right? That's the, that's, that's the key. Okay. So the second one is definitely more of a rant and, and I will apologize in advance um, because this is something that I've visited two episodes ago, I believe, which is about net neutrality. Um, But I just want to just once again, revisit it because I think it's important and I'll just make the the comment um, therein. So go fast, you know, hit the 30 second thing twice. If you want to get to Joe's thing, if you don't want to hear about (laughs) net neutrality. Um, Look, here's the thing. I, 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 I want to talk about why marketers should care about net neutrality because last week, and I started looking at net neutrality again over the weekend and man, is it hard to understand even for someone who's sort of geeky and into the technology and into that, unless you're really into it, you're, it can be, confusing, right? Are you for net neutrality or are you against new net neutrality rules? Are you for new rules that give freedom to ISPs for net neutrality? It can be very confusing. And and there's, by the way, that's done purposely in some cases because the FCC is trying to conflate a whole bunch of different issues, et cetera, et cetera. So here's my specific things, because last Thursday, the FCC took very concrete steps to overturning all the internet net neutrality rules that are there. So they so the it's not looking good folks in terms of if you if you're for net neutrality and the and and the free access to the internet it's not looking really good right now in terms of what the they're doing. Basically it comes down to three things, three rules, right? Just to put this in as simple English as I possibly can. One is transparency. So the that's the internet one open internet rule that the ISPs have to comply with. They have to report how they manage their networks. Two is no blocking. They can't choose to block content or not block other content. If they're going to make access to the internet available, they have to make it all available. And three, no discrimination. And this is the one that gets the most um, most press, which is they can't favor one traffic source over another from a bandwidth perspective. All of them have implications for marketing people, but I just want to quickly focus on the discrimination thing because that's what most people think about when they think about this. So without net neutrality, basically, if the FCC goes back to the old rules, 
they basically basically turn over all the Obama era uh, rules here. ISPs can prioritize traffic. And they'll say, no, 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 of course we're not going to do that, fair market, blah, blah, blah. But th- that we know is just silly. The idea is that an ISP, let's say Comcast or Verizon, for example, they can say, hey, if all you want is Google, Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, and Amazon, we get yourself a low-cost package for that, right? It's only going to be 75 bucks a month. But if you want all the websites, well, you can pay 150 a month. Or if you want them all fast, or if you want them all <clears throat> on the super high-speed network, you could pay a little more. And if you're marketers, of course, you should see right through this, because this is just like the airline saying, nah, we're not penalizing you for bringing an extra carry-on bag. We're making the cost lower if you don't bring a carry-on bag. And of course, that's exactly the opposite, right? What we're doing is reducing the content, providing a lower price, isn't lowering the price. It's giving you headroom to raise the price for a premium service. And of course, then they can start segmenting. And now guess what? And here's where it makes sense for marketers is your blog, your website, all the things that you're doing. Well, you don't get to it or you don't get to it fast because, you know, you just can't get to it because it's not prioritized traffic. Now, if you go, well, that doesn't matter because I get all my access through work. Well, what if you're the, your company chooses to uh, sign up with an ISP that says, we're going to give you a corporate package that omits Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and all these social feeds. And you go, yeah, 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 but I don't care because my company already blocks those sites. It's like, no, no, no. Remember, all this does is in a very weird way, make less websites available. In other words, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Google, they can all afford this tax that's going to happen. They can all be, they're, they're actually pretty okay with this. Now, they'll, they'll tell you they're not, but here's the thing. What it does is that it eliminates all the competition. And so if you care about there being a free and open market for your ad dollars or for your promoted post dollars or for new innovations to come around where you can put marketing efforts across a multitude of channels, well, then you care deeply about this because they can really start to segment down into basically just like it was with broadcast media in the old days. There is only ABC, CBS, and NBC to advertise or put content on. And if you can't put content on there, you can't build a website because you can't afford to pay that tax. Or quite frankly, you can't afford to get into the prioritized tier. Well, then you're out of luck. And now, so what? So if you agree with all of that, what do you do now? Well, the answer is probably not much at this point. It doesn't seem like it's going to go in our favor in any anytime soon. And there are some sites out there, savetheinternet.com is one, and there are others. John Oliver has one that's really interesting and, and, and all of that. There hasn't been a lot of effort from the groundswell, and I'm thinking that it's probably going to go the other way. But get active if you're interested in this. Get, you know, yell at your congressman, um, all those kinds of things. Because if it becomes a reality... We'll have, obviously, as marketers, as practitioners in the business, we'll deal with it, right? But I just want to be, you know, it's funny. We'll be able to tell our kids because, and then going back to being a student of marketing, you know, it's funny. We'll be able to tell our kids there was this day when the internet truly was democratized, right? When you could start a website that could compete with any industry titan or media property or celebrity out there. The playing field was level. You could start your own media company. Now, again, just like the old days pre-internet, there are airwaves controlled by the biggest titans of industry and the government, and it costs lots of money, and you have to go one through one of the big four in order to reach your audiences. But you remember the day when you could start a WordPress site for free and the open internet and dream of becoming big? Those were the days, right? Anyway, that's the end of my rant. Makes me kind of sad. 
I'm it is. It's 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 depressing. My my uh, oldest son is devastated about this. He is. He talks about it all the time. He thinks this is the most horrible thing that's happening. Yeah, and it's 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 a big thing that nobody. I mean, there's a lot of people talking about it in our inside baseball crew, right? You know, in the yeah. marketing and technology and stuff. So you know, but it's 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 something that is. You know, sadly, I think going down, I mean, look, and, and maybe it'll be turned over and maybe it won't happen. And I'm hoping and I'm out there actively sort of writing to my Congress critters and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's 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 uh, it's an important issue. And especially for us in marketing, because it, it, it really does, you know, it really does affect the number of choices you have. And I think we should start our engines and, <laughs> get, and get after it. Yeah, there's really no, um, you know, it, there's there's really nothing we can do about it right now. It's uh, it's very insensitive. These landscape people, yeah. uh, they're not mine, by the way. Just so you know, yeah. I'm. Uh, I can't really. So what tell about you? Me. What do you got? Uh, you know, I have a short rave, and I'm. I promised a few people, specifically my wife, that I would talk about this at some point. But as but other people let me know, this is a really interesting story. And I'm going to use a couple links. Uh, one is from People Magazine. One is from CNN. And the other one is uh, actually a Facebook page. And the, the People uh, article here says, Single dad teaches himself to do his daughter's hair. Then starts a class to help other farmers or <laughs> other fathers. I'm sorry, fathers, well, not farmers. They're farmers. Some of them are yeah, farmers. Exactly. So basically, uh, the gentleman's name is Phil Morgese, I think it's pronounced, and he ended up taking custody of his daughter uh, when his daughter was one. And he says, "I had no clue how to fix her hair, so he decided to wing it." And he was having all these issues, and then he found out that other fathers were having other fathers and parents were having this kind of. Uh, issue and says, uh, you know, because she already had a full head of hair and it was getting in her eyes, I taught myself how to put uh, in her little hair clips and carry them everywhere in my pockets and then learned about hair gel and learned about all this other stuff and really started to talk with other fathers about this thing and said, well, there's an issue out there. So well, maybe I should start something around it. So he started in October 2015. Uh, Daddy Daughter Hair Factory, and Aww. it's a yeah I know isn't it cute? A, it's a free biweekly class held at International Academy in South Daytona, where dads and daughters of all ages can learn how to do everything from detangle long locks of coil hair into buns, and then share some valuable bonding time. So basically, he started a Facebook page, and I'll link to that in the in the show notes. But it's called Daddy Daughter Hair Factory on Facebook, and. What's amazing is, is this thing has really taken off. I mean, he's, it, you know, it's not, he's got 90,000 people, I think, that have liked the page, but he's got an amazing, uh, I mean, he's been covered in the mainstream. He's been on Ellen, covered in the mainstream press. Um, let's see, he's got, let's see, he's given his lesson plans to fathers, and I got, I got the number here eight fathers, eight di- oh, 18 different dads in 13 different states. And they hold these biweekly daddy-daughter hair clubs. And I'm sure you're going to ask, have they monetized it? Um, it is free. The classes are free. But they have a sponsor. And at least the sponsor for right now is So Cozy, which is – I don't know what So Cozy does. But they offer <laughs> hair products for, for girls. And uh, is sponsored. They give out some products and also sponsor some of the sessions as well. So I just thought this was interesting. It was passion. It was a problem that a father had. 
He, he started to find out that other people had this problem as well, started to consistently deliver his tips on Facebook and YouTube and send those out, built an audience, then started the International Academy where the dads and daughters could get together, Start is just starting to monetize it, has gotten all kinds of uh, great publicity on it because it's just such a great human interest story. And I just thought it was it was a cool example. It probably cool could be story. an example of this old marketing, but it's really not this old marketing. It's just a really right. good content example. And I like this one because it's – uh, you know, it, it, there's no budget behind this. There's just somebody's passion, and they said, "Can you know? Can I share this amount of expertise and really help some people?" And they've been really able to help a lot of people with it. So nice, really. Cool I love story. that. Yeah, that's a really cool story. Much more positive than talking about net neutrality. <laughs> Much better than that. No, they're going to hit the. Sure. They're going to hit the thirty second thing twice, and then they're going to have to hit it again twice, and then again twice, and then maybe they'll get to daddy daughter hair factor. So, By the go. way, I, as, a, as a quick note here, I, I took the opportunity while I was flying to Australia to listen to a number of some of the more popular podcasts that are out there, yeah. um, you know, that are in our business. And man, do they go on and on on their ads. Like, I mean, there, there was one of them, and I won't name which one it is, but I listened to, the, I listened to it, and it's one of the more popular marketing podcasts out there. And the, their, their ad went on for a good 12 minutes. I mean, the, I mean, it just and it opens like that. Like the whole the whole podcast opens like twelve minutes of ad, ad, really? ad, ad. You know, oh, it's just crazy. So I, I give ourselves a little bit of a pat well, and not there. many and not many podcasts actually have leaf and grass blowers in the background. That's right. You, you that, can't get that anywhere. That's a positive. Else. You, that's, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, you got dogs barking. You got you got, got uh, grass and leaves barking. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, all, all right. right. So uh, you're doing uh, this old marketing this week. We have a wonderful this old marketing, um, and uh, uh, a big, huge hat tip. Uh, to Bob Ord here, our friend in uh, in in, uh, in the Netherlands, for sending this over, um, and because it's a it, it's a Dutch guy, uh, so go figure. As as is most things uh, innovative here that comes out of the early sixteen and seventeen hundreds, it was a Dutch thing, um, and he sent us an example of content marketing back in sixteen seventy two. This is an old one. Wow. This is a really really old one. And so we'll link to his post in the show notes here. Um, he sent over this blog post that he wrote about this story um, that begins in 1672 and two brothers. <clears throat> this story is about, and I'm gonna I'm gonna completely butcher the the Dutch pronunciation here. So forgive me, folks in uh, in Netherlands for for this. Um, it's Jan van der Heiden and his brother Nicholas. Um, and so I'm uh, basically. Two guys who invented and improved the fire hose, which is like, wow, that's interesting. 1672, inventing and improving the fire hose. Until then, until this point when they improved this, you had rows of people with buckets of water basically for putting out fires. Um, there was a hose that was available, but pumping the water through the hose wasn't possible because if when you tried to pump the water, the force of the water and the suction would basically cause any flexible hose to completely collapse on itself. And so they built this new kind of fire hose that had a suction ring around it and reinforced it with these things on the outside to basically reinforce the walls um, of the hose and basically make it, you know, able to be able to pump out water over, over a great distance. And you could basically put out fires with it. So they were ostensibly a tech startup in, you know, in, in, in 1672 
um, uh, Netherlands and, and, and basically looking to get some recognition for their new product. So they didn't go out and do normal marketing stuff. What they did was create a whole bunch of content to really create demand for this new technology. They created, as Bob points out, a white paper. So they wrote a whole series of thought leadership papers and published them um, and handed them out called, you know, how innovation is happening with fire hose, basically teaching how innovation would happen through the evolution of, of fire hoses and fire protection. Then they wrote a book. They wrote a whole book on this, basically talking about all the fire hazards that are out there, not just fire hoses, but fire hazards and developments in the firehouses and fire brigades and processes and procedures about how fire brigades were really succeeding. And also, yes, using these fancy new um, fire hoses. They created all these visualizations. So they did these print designs of the new hoses and diagrams and what we would call infographics today um, about how to really use these new kinds of fire hoses. They did um, what Bob calls social sharing there, which is they basically went out to all these influencers um, out in the and started talking about all of the wonderful best practices with regard, uh, with regard to fire protection, fire brigades, fire teams, and how they would do better, and how they would do better with these new hoses. And, of course, they did um, all these wonderful demonstrations of fire hoses and how they would actually work. So they created content, created thought leadership, created um, social activation through their through whatever the 1672 version of the news feed would be, and basically had a huge commercial success with this new technology in the fire hose. Um, they not only, as Bob points out in his post, did the city of Amsterdam place a huge order for these things, but they got other cities to take them up as well. They were then the first stock listed and the largest multinational company in the world at one point um, with the uh, Dutch East India wow. Company who bought their, bought their company and installed the fire hose in all of its ships. Every one of the ships of the Dutch East India Company had these brothers' fire hoses on them to, to protect the ships. And they got sort of invitations from other countries like the leader of Russia and other countries to go invite them to basically be the best practices uh, for the fire departments there. I, you know, to me... These guys are the Marcus Sheridans of the fire hose industry in 1672. <laughs> Basically, they created an amazing thought leadership program and invented new ways to do the fire hose um, as opposed to the outdoor pool. Just a fantastic example of, of this old marketing. I think they made a market. Yeah, they created a Isn't market. For their, they created a market. That's, 300, that's almost 350 years old. Year old. Case study. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And this content marketing thing is this brand spanking new. I know. What are you gonna do? So, uh, so what's your plan this week? What do you got going on? I am. I well, as you mentioned earlier in the show, there is some attention I need to pay to our book. Yeah. Um, and get that rocking and rolling so that we wrap that puppy up and it gets ready for publishing. Um, I have some client work I need to do. I am enjoying being home. I'm going to get some writing done and uh, and yeah, so client work and and books and all that kind of stuff. How about you? Uh, definitely with the book, uh, so that has to take priority. Uh, we have some CMI meetings this week. We have some people coming into Cleveland, so uh, we'll be uh, engaging in those. So that'll be fun to see some of the <laughs> some of the folks there. It'd probably be out late at night, uh, probably at a bar, most likely. But it, I be, can I can imagine it'll be yes. an interesting time and good time. But uh, yeah, it's always good good seeing the folks and and yes, also getting absolutely. some time with the folks you know getting some time with the kids and the family since yeah. i was gone last week so. go cavaliers go, go cavs i went to yeah we were talking before the show i went to the game last night where they lost on a last second uh, shot but they're still up two to one in the series still feeling good 
uh, hopefully I'll make it into the finals and then uh, we'll see from there. So there you have it. There you have it. So that was our, the extent of our sports talk folks. And so <laughs> really quick, got very little of it. Yeah. Um, all right. That is it. Ladies and gentlemen, for Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off of episode 184. And thank you again to Bright Cove for helping make our little hour of insight possible. If you like this episode, number 184, won't you leave us a kind review on the iTunes? We want those reviews the good ones. We want the really good reviews on iTunes. Um, And if you haven't yet, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com or whatever your favorite podcatcher is. When you leave us a review, if you subscribe, let us know, won't you? Hashtag us up at This Old Marketing on the Twitter. We'd love to thank you personally for that. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. We want them. We need them. We love them. Please send them over. The This Old Marketing examples are especially welcome. We love those examples that come to us that we've never even thought about. And of course... In addition to tweeting us up at uh, hashtag ThisOldMarketing, you can also send an email, ThisOldMarketing at ContentInstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes as we go to publish on Monday night. And of course, in all of their replete Technicolor glory at the show post at ThisOldMarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.